Hi, everybody. Anne Louise Gittleman here for the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. As you know, I'm a New York Times bestselling author of nearly 35, 36 books. And today I have a distinguished guest with me who is a young man that is a major podcast host. He's got over 7 million downloads and still counting. And I remember years ago, I was a guest with his podcast. I'm speaking to Evan Brand. I remember thinking he was so enlightened and so wise beyond his years that at the right time, I needed to interview him. So here he is today. He is now a certified functional medicine practitioner, a nutritional therapist, and an author. And he's going to talk to us about mold and mycotoxin. So take it away, Evan Brand, and how are you today? Hey, and Louise, thanks for having me. It's uh, an honor to be with you. And I should update that uh, bio. I keep forgetting to do that. The podcast is well over 12 million downloads now. So I keep forgetting to do that and update that. But well, that's not to toot my own horn. That's really just to say that people are seeking out functional medicine information. They're seeking out root cause solutions to their health problems. As you know, the conventional medical establishment continues to fail us and all they give us are drugs and now it's looking like vaccines and not much root cause medicine, no discussion about what the heck should we actually be doing to empower ourselves? How do we improve our immune systems? How do we help our sleep? How do we improve relationships? What about the gut? What about detoxification? None of that's discussed. It's all just a, a drug, a surgery model. And that's what got me into this whole thing was just being frustrated with my own suffering and the conventional doctors only wanted to write me drugs for my IBS issues, which it's a long story. I'll make it short as possible, but from dealing with H. pylori, Giardia, Cryptosporidium, and many other infections, I ended up treating those using herbs, resolving about 80% of my problems by getting gluten and dairy out of my diet, resolving the gut infections. I had many tick bites as a, a young boy and even into my 20s when I worked for the park system, developing trails in nature, it was the best job ever, but I made no money and I got bit by many ticks. <laughs> oh my gosh. And uh, I, I did unfortunately uh, battle and I'm still battling Lyme and co-infections, Bartonella and Babesia. And those could really, really throw a wrench in your gears. And then you pile mold toxicity on top of that and you've really got a recipe for disaster, or the disaster has a name, mast cell activation, which is where part of your immune system gets really, really mad, and you start to basically leak out histamine and other mediators where you develop a lot of food sensitivities, anything from rashes to dizziness and vertigo, tinnitus, anxiety, depression, panic attacks. We could do a whole show together on mast cells, but in reality, people like me are just the canaries to a toxic planet that unfortunately has toxic consequences and now we're just paying those. So you had a personal experience recently, if I may be so bold, with mold and mycotoxins. Can you explain to my audience what occurred to you in your personal life? Sure. And I think honestly, this was just the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't even think it was a, just the recent exposure. I think it was probably the lifetime of exposure. I remember being a young boy in my grandmother's house. I remember my feet were freezing cold. We now know that mold and mycotoxins and things like Babesia, uh, which is sort of relative of malaria, these things can affect your coagulation. And there's this phenomenon that a lady named Dr. Corson is talking about called hypercoagulation. It's 
essentially thicker blood and poor circulation. But I remember being a young kid and I remember my feet being so cold that I had this little portable space heater that I would plug in in my grandmother's basement. I'd watch cartoons as a kid and my feet would be so cold I'd have to have the heater to keep my toes warm. Mm. And now remember that her basement flooded when I was young. And the uh, the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, they estimate that 50% or more of buildings in the U.S. alone are damaged by water. And I remember distinctively, she did not have a mold remediation company come in and treat that. All she did was turn on a box fan and it took two weeks for that carpet in the basement to dry out. Mm. We know that even just after 48 hours of a material that gets wet, if it doesn't dry out, it's going to start growing mold and that mold is not what makes you sick. It's the mycotoxins, the off-gassing, if you will. Since mold doesn't have teeth, it has to sort of um, act like a squatter. It has to basically claim its territory, right? So when it's fighting other molds, it's off-gassing these mycotoxins, and the humans are just the innocent bystanders that breathe it in. So fast forward to um, future, I, in one summer, got exposed to mold from uh, a crawl space and also simultaneously got tick bites that same summer. And mm. you and I both are really advocates of finding the chicken or the egg. You know, what happened? What's the root cause? And the, the truth, truthful thing is, I don't know. I don't know if it was the mold exposure from the crawl space or if it was the tick bites, but something set off into motion, a huge cascade of inflammation for me where I had uncontrollable blood pressure. I had heart palpitations. I had anxiety. I had panic attacks out of the blue. And I'm a normally normally a pretty even kill guy. So for me, this was just completely abnormal. And luckily, since all that happened, this is going on three to four years ago now, luckily, I've been able to use smart protocols, binders, sauna, chlorella, I'm using herbs to treat the Lyme and the co-infections. And I'm actually turning the corner, I see light at the end of the tunnel, it's not been an easy journey, especially as a practitioner, I'm used to working with many, many sick people. And in some cases, my issues are far more complex than any of my clients. And I'm like, wow, if these clients only knew how jealous I, I was of their cases. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I guess as they say, it builds character. So so how does one know? So I, I need to get into some of the symptomology. How would one know if mold or mycotoxins is an issue? Did you actually get tested with a blood test, a urine test, or a poop test? Yeah, great question. You want to dive into the symptoms first, and then we'll talk about the testing? Sure. Okay, so Dr. Richie Shoemaker, he's kind of what people refer to as kind of the godfather of mold toxicity. He's been talking about it and treating it, primarily using pharmaceutical drugs, which I'm not a, a fan of. They do work, and we can get into that in, in a bit, but I prefer to use the the natural solutions depending on the the case. But he did a great job of organizing and putting all these symptoms in one big paragraph. So it goes from anything, and this is actually something we put on our intake form. So for any new client or patient that comes in, we have them check off these symptoms. And we've determined that if they check off more than three of these symptoms, we're suspicious of mold toxicity. And then we will then follow up using urine testing. We'll have a patient take glutathione for about five days to kind of provoke or provocate the toxin out. And that increases our accuracy rate quite a bit. And then once we get the urine test back, we can measure exactly what type of mold toxin or mycotoxin they have. And then we can create an appropriate protocol 
using specific binders. But back to the symptoms real quick, just so people have an idea of what could be happening to them and clue them in to get tested. Number one is going to be fatigue. And this for me was an unrelenting fatigue. It was actually an embarrassing level of fatigue. I was to the point where I've got a really steep, long driveway, but just getting down to the mailbox and back up the hill, I was exhausted. And I would have what they call a post-exertional malaise that would sometimes last days just based on a short 10 to 15 minute walk or 10 to 15 minute exercise session, I would be sore for days. And, you know, my early twenties, I was into bodybuilding. I would hit the gym three, four times a week. No problem. This was pathetic. You know, I would lift dumbbells for 10 minutes and be sore from Monday till Friday. Mm -hmm. So fatigue, uh, post-exertional malaise, weakness, uh, muscle cramps, unusual pain, light sensitivity, blurry vision, People go to their eye doctor thinking it's their eyes. It's not. It's the mold toxicity reducing the blood flow to the eyes. I believe that's the mechanism. My vision was certainly affected. And I went to the eye doctor and I passed with flying colors. But he suggested I look into Lyme disease as a contributing factor, which I thought was pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, diarrhea, uh, abdominal pain. Kids often report stomach aches. Mommy, my tummy hurts. That's what happened to my daughter when she was two. We just thought it was related to gut infections. We treated her for parasites. She did get somewhat better, but it was the mold toxicity. Once we detoxed her, she no longer complains of tummy aches and she no longer has these episodes where she looked very pale. That would also be a sign that you're just looking sickly. Your skin tone can look more pale. You're just not having good blood flow. And this can actually get worse after repeated exposures, meaning I would look fine. I'm Irish, so I'm a little more on the reddish pink skin tone. And I would sit down on our couch and my wife would say, honey, you look pale all of a sudden. And I would go check my blood pressure and sure enough, my blood pressure was up and I felt pale. I felt weak. I get off that couch and sure enough, the blood pressure would normalize and the skin tone would come back. So that couch was obviously moldy. We got rid of it. Mm. Concentration issues are huge. Uh, word recollection. You, it's your best friend. You know her name. You just can't think of it. You're losing your phone, you're losing your keys, you're losing your wallet, you're disoriented. You may forget which way to turn when you're on the highway. You may pee a lot. That was another symptom for me. I'm young enough to where I don't have any prostate issues at all, I can assure you, but I was up three, four times a night to go pee. I could not quench my thirst. So hmm. that is another one. Static electricity. You get shocked a lot by static electricity. And then for me, it was the vertigo. So bad that there were some days where I would be laying in bed and the world was just spinning and spinning and spinning. And I was just praying to God that the spinning would stop. And then luckily, it finally stopped. I, did, I never realized that vertigo is connected to mycotoxins. Mm -hmm. And tinnitus, you mentioned tinnitus a little bit ago. And yeah. these are issues that we're seeing more and more of, Evan. And people are, have no way of knowing what the underlying cause is. Yeah. Now with the vertigo, so the vertigo could be tied into potentially Lyme and some of the co-infections because of the inflammation of some of the cranial nerves. And so mm. it's, it's possible that it could be a multitude of factors for me and it could be for others as well. But I can tell you I've tested and worked on many people that have had no Lyme or co-infections, just mold toxin, and they've had significant vertigo. And uh, primarily, we've seen it with what's called okra toxin. Yes, o I've seen that. Yeah, so okra toxin comes from aspergillus, which is one of the most common molds in a water damaged building. And so we know if you just look up okra toxin in the brain in PubMed, you'll see that okra toxin damages the cerebellum. And so this would make sense when we talk about all these 
proprioception issues, people that feel that the ground is moving out from under them when they try to step. It's a really, really uncomfortable sensation that I noticed. And yeah, I started to bump into walls and, you know, I bruised my shoulder several times by running into doorways because I just couldn't gauge where the objects in the physical dimension were compared to where my brain thought them were. were. So that obviously affected my ability to drive for quite a while because I wouldn't know when to hit the brakes. I couldn't tell if that car was right in front of me or was it much, much further. So it really affected the depth perception as well. So my people are probably listening to this and wondering, how would you check in your environment if you're actually being exposed to mold? Is there, is there a mold remediation service that comes in and actually cultures the mold? Can you tell visually by something behind the shower curtain? Is there a color? Is there, a, is there an odor? Are there any physical symptoms that people actually find environmentally? Yeah, great question. Let me try to unpack all those pieces. So regarding the smell, yes, sometimes there is a smell. In most cases, there is not a smell. If you do smell mold, it's really bad. It's a really bad situation. If the mycotoxin load has gotten so intense that they call what they're called, you're very familiar with VOCs, these volatile organic compounds like mm -hmm. hairspray and perfumes and all the toxic crap that most Americans use. Those are VOCs, but there's also such thing as MVOCs. And if the molds are making enough MVOCs that you smell it, you're in really, really bad shape. In regards to the sight of it, most people don't see mold. It's often existing in a crawl space. It's existing in your ductwork of your HVAC system. It's hidden in your car. For example, Mercedes did a recall on oh 2.5 cars. Two point, I'm sorry, 2.5 million. 2.5 million cars were recalled due to mold growing in the HVAC system. And how we discovered this, or how I at least found the news article, was I had a client who was a woman who drove a Mercedes. By the time she got to work every day, she had a major, major headache. And we thought, huh, so you don't have a headache when you leave the house, but you have a headache by the time you get to work. So that must mean the car is a contributing factor. So mm -hmm. we thought, hey, is this an EMF sensitivity thing? She had Bluetooth and all sorts of wireless stuff in the car. And we tried to disable that. We had her wear an EMF protective clothing and that didn't help. And I thought, okay, this doesn't make sense. And I said, well, what about your, your air and your heat? Is it when you use the air conditioner or the heater? And she goes, well, let me try to not turn the vents on. So she didn't turn the vents on one day. She got to work with no headache. And I go, oh my God, it's, it's the HVAC system in your car. So luckily we were able to use a formula that we've created, which is an essential oil blend that you put in a fog machine. It's called Oasis. We had her fog the car. It literally fills the car with fog. We had her turn on the vents to suck the fog through the system. And luckily we were able to treat her car and save it. No more headaches. So you don't always see it. You don't always smell it. In regards to testing, do you have to have a remediation company come in and test? The answer is no. In most cases, you can self-test at home. There's a company out of Immunolit uh, called Immunolytics that we use. They're out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's Immuno, like your immune system. I-M-M-U-N-O, and then Lytics, L-Y-T-I-C-S. Now, we sell tons of their Petri dishes, which are these small little plates you put out with a gum. It has sort of a gum, gummy substance on the bottom of it that allows the mold to culture. You put these in various parts of your home. So say your bedroom, your kitchen, your dining room. We like to have people test their office. I work with a lot of teachers and attorneys. We tell them to test your office buildings. Most offices are moldy. And then after an hour of it sitting on the floor, you put the lid on and you can either self-test at home 
or you can send it back to the lab for analysis. And after about five days, you're going to look at that Petri dish. And if you see more than four to five colonies growing, you'll count them as individual little pieces of mold. It'll look like the size of a dime or a penny or possibly larger. If you can count more than four or five, then you've got an issue. And so depends on what's going on, whether or not you need a remediation company to come in. For example, if you had a water line leaking behind a wall and you've got a drywall that's covered in mold behind the wall, the paper backing on the drywall is a big mold uh, food source. You know, if the molds are feeding on the back of your drywall, you're not going to see it, you're not going to smell it, but it can very, very, very much make you feel sick. And so in that case, you would need to cut out the water damaged material and replace it. If there was a toilet that overflowed and it got down to your subfloor, you would need to cut out the subfloor, put new tile in. So depends on the severity of the issue. In some cases, you can just do um, a hydrogen peroxide around a 17%. You can get it on Amazon, like a 17% food grade is what you typically find, or at a pool store, a pool supply store, you can get a high potency hydrogen peroxide, and that can be used to spot treat mold. You want to be careful not to burn yourself with it, mm. but that can be very beneficial topically. So I've had several friends that have educated me on how to use that, and then we come in with the essential oil blends and we can treat things, whether it's candles that we burn or misters that we spray or fog machines that we use. You know, that's typically what we use. There's only one case, a woman in Oregon that I had who I told her she had to leave, just get out of the house completely, don't come back. And it was a woman who had a sink, a kitchen sink that had been leaking into her island. And that entire island was filled with stachybotrys, which is the black mold that people hear about. And her symptoms were so severe. I did not want her to be in that place anymore. So I had her just, I told her, get out. Luckily she listened to me. Most people with mold toxicity are stubborn. They don't, <laughs> they, they can't think clearly. Right. right? So they're, they're sort of in a fog. It's almost as if you're drunk on mycotoxins. So luckily she was able to think clearly enough to move into her daughter's home. I just told her, don't bring all of your contaminated goods with you, buy new clothes. And luckily we were able to recover her. So for people that want to be proactive, Evan, I'm thinking of normal cleansing routines and so forth. How would you suggest they clean their house? Would it be baking soda, vinegar, and just a mild hydrogen peroxide mix? Is there a particular essential oil that's particularly anti-mold, anti-mycotoxin like thymol or something of that nature? Yeah, great point. Yeah. So uh, a lot of people talk about thieves oil. You know, there's this whole biblical references people use about thieves oil, which is a combination of essential oils. I've heard of that being helpful. I haven't seen any test results kind of before and after working. Uh, I don't want to make this sound like a, a big sales pitch for, for me, but uh, we have partnered with a company who makes the essential oil blend and it's a lime, lemon, tangerine, grapefruit seed extract. Mm. And those are all combined into liquids more of a syrup type blend with a glycol that we put into the fog machine and then a more water-based solution. So in our house personally, and what I tell people clinically is we'll wipe down all the countertops and everything, bathtubs with the more liquid solution, which is just a, it's just a, we call it a mold solution concentrate. We just wipe down cutting boards and that kind of stuff with that. And then in regards to maintenance, I will mist our house using the misting solution about every six months. And so just actually last week, I started to feel a little bit dizzy in my daughter's room. She's got a big bathtub in there. It's like a giant bathtub. It's, Your little girl? Yeah, my little girl. Her name is Summer. And she's <laughs> she's four and a half. She's an amazing kid. Wow. And so I was in her room 
I was in her bathroom and I just told her, I said, Summy, daddy feels a little dizzy in here. This is weird. I said, do you feel okay? She's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, okay, great. So I suspected something because this is a big bathtub. And I thought, well, she's always splashing. There's water going everywhere. This is a pretty moist room. Who knows what's happening? So I went in there with the fog machine. We filled up her room with fog. She loved it, thought it was hilarious. We shut the door. You let it sit in there for give or take six hours. And I go back in there and I'm no longer dizzy in that room. So Hmm. we were able to spot treat that room. But in terms of general maintenance, I'll go around with the mister and I'll miss the house every give or take six months unless maybe we've got major rain or something like that that's going to really increase the humidity. See, one misconception about mold is that you have to have a water leak and you don't. You can just have high humidity. So uh, here in Kentucky, uh, it's very similar to Idaho where you'll get moisture at certain parts of the year. And so uh, Idaho may be drier in some parts. I know Kentucky's humid pretty much all the time here, but if your house is over 50, 50% humidity inside, you can develop mold just based on that. So I encourage people to go on Amazon, buy you a little portable humidity monitor, and you can just sit that on your dinner table. That's what I do. And I monitor the humidity in the house. Now, we ended up installing two whole house dehumidifiers. We have an upstairs and a downstairs. And these whole house dehumidifiers hook directly up to your ductwork. And so anytime the humidity gets above 40%, those kick on, they suck the moisture out of the air and they pump that out, out outside of the house. Now, this is much more sustainable than telling someone to buy a dehumidifier that's a standalone unit because then you and your husband are going to be arguing over who drains the bucket of water every day. Mm-hmm. So I much, much rather people do the whole house system. So years ago, I'm from the East Coast and I can remember all this black mold, dark, dark grayish mold in, in the cellar, for example, and we would take a hose and hose it down with a little Clorox. Is that not recommended anymore? Mm, I don't know anything about bleach, whether it would do anything or not. I would say the toxicity of it, the pros and the cons list, I would say the cons probably outweigh the pros. So I would definitely go more for what I've seen and what's been recommended to me by uh, professional remediators, which is a 17% hydrogen peroxide. And you put that in sort of one of those little herbicide sprayers and you could just boom, boom, directly spray any surface mold that you would see. How prevalent do you think mold is in the American, in the American environment? I, I once read that there was something like 50 to 70% of all homes that were mold infested. Do you think that's right? I think it's that or higher. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Mercola, he's posted uh, some about mold and he's down in Florida. I know that his partner, uh, her name is Erin Elizabeth. I did an interview with her several years ago for one of my summits and we were talking all about breast implants. There's a huge issue with breast implants being moldy. So even if you're in a clean environment, if you have implants, uh, those are a, a big reservoir for mycotoxins. And I've had many, many, many female clients come out of the woodwork to speak with me about this. And I did a podcast interview Uh, on breast implant illness and how we've recovered many, many women with their weight gain issues and hormonal issues and uh, depression and anxiety that was all stemming from moldy breast implants. So uh, back to the saline breast implants. Yeah. Any, any, any saline, uh, silicone, any, any and all implants because the body, what we've seen was some of these explant surgeons. We've seen pictures of these after they're done, the body, doesn't recognize this foreign object being put into the body, duh. So the body will create 
almost like a cyst around it. It'll create this sort of a, a capsule, if you will, of tissue. And that often becomes moldy there. And so that, that's a big kind of undiagnosed, under-discussed version of mold toxicity. But yeah, back to the houses, I, I would agree, definitely 50 to 70%, at least, if not more. And the only, quote, less moldy place in the United States would be the desert Southwest. So this would be maybe Southern Nevada, Las Vegas area, uh, there's a place outside of Vegas I feel really good in. It's a, called um, Red Rock, Red Rock Canyon. That's a nice place. Uh, I've got a friend in Albuquerque. He reports that he feels a lot better there. There are certain places in Arizona that can be better. However, the problem with even these desert climates is that because it's so dry, people then introduce swamp coolers yes. and they and they put a lot of humidity back into their environment. So. And, and, and people may be listening to this and going, okay, Evan, you know, you're crazy. Mold's been around forever. Mold's everywhere. Mold's written about in the Bible, blah, blah, blah. Which is true. Yes, this is true. This is true. But up until the 1970s, we didn't have tight homes like we do today. And the homes mm -hmm. are so tight now that they don't breathe. And so now we know that indoor air is so much more toxic than outdoor air, unless you're running air purifiers and fresh air systems like I'm doing. The indoor air is going to have VOCs from your kitchen cabinets and uh, potentially uh, your paint chemicals and carpet chemicals. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And then you put mold into the equation and no wonder we're all sick. They call it sick building syndrome. And so if you look at our ancestors, I mean, even just look at Native Americans, yeah, maybe their, uh, te their teepees, maybe they were getting moldy, but then they would replace it with new bison skin, right? So, and they had fresh airflow. So this is a relatively new problem. This whole mold toxicity conversation, it's a very new problem because we build our homes now with drywall instead of doing plaster like we used to even just a hundred years ago, the old farmhouses were much, much better because number one, they leaked like crazy, meaning there was a lot of airflow coming in to dilute the toxicity. But number two, they were using plaster and not drywall. Interesting. So in our last 15 minutes, tell me what you think about diet. Let's talk about diet and nutrition and ways in which people can protect against mold and mycotoxins. Sure. I think diet is a contributing factor. I think it's a small factor, maybe 10 to 15% of the total mycotoxin load. Now that doesn't mean I believe it's only 10 to 15% of the equation in terms of getting you healthy. No, I think diet's absolutely foundational, organic as much as possible. I push people mainly towards a paleo template and a paleo template happens to be low in mycotoxins because we're removing a lot of the moldy grains that people are eating. So, And tell us what, what moldy grains there are out there. Yeah, so corn is going to be the biggest one. Um, corn is notoriously moldy, and there's often companies that will, like even uh, I bought some corn the other day to put out for the deer in my property. I wanted to see if I can get the deer to come to the corn, and it was funny, on the bag of the corn, it said, we test for aflatoxin. Uh -huh. and, and aflatoxin, we said, we guarantee, I think it was less than 20 parts per billion of aflatoxin for the corn. That way you don't poison the deer. So that was interesting to see that companies are talking about this. But uh, peanuts, so a lot of times nuts, which of course peanuts are technically a legume, but peanuts are moldy notoriously. Almonds can be, walnuts, pistachios, a yeah, lot of the nuts can be. Yeah, cashews, absolutely. And I love nuts, don't get me wrong. You just have to get them organically, and if you can get them fresh, and I freeze my nuts, so like pecans, I'll freeze those. I feel okay with them. I'm not so sensitive that I eat something and feel, whoa, like I got mold. 
Uh, coffee is a big one. So you see several brands now talking about being mold free. Uh, yeah, mold free beans. So I mean, coffee is a is a potential source. And then think about the meats too. This is another reason that pastured meats and grass fed meats are so important is because if you have cattle that are grazing on moldy contaminated corn right. mm -hmm. their whole life, moldy grains, and then you eat that cow, you're eating those mycotoxins and mycotoxins you can't kill them. They're not alive. It's just a toxin. So freezing the meat doesn't do anything. Cooking the meat doesn't do anything. Mycotoxins survive up to like 4,000 degrees. So it's not like you just cook the corn fed beef and you're fine. No, you are poisoning yourself with it. And then dairy, same thing. So if you're drinking conventional dairy or using conventional dairy products from grain fed animals, that's not good. So this is why pastured is so key. And this is why so many people do feel better when they go for more pastured meats and when they get rid of grains. I think you know, this grain free has become very popular for a lot of digestive issues. And it certainly helped me. I do get away with a little bit of organic white rice here and there as a treat. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. in general, I believe so many people feel so much better when they get rid of grains because they're getting rid of the mold toxicity. And that's something people don't recognize. It's the mold toxicity most of all, at least I believe so. Yeah. So what about the 10 best herbs or just give me the five best herbs, five best vitamins that are anti-fungal, anti-mold? Yeah. Great, great question. And so I'm going to tweak your question a little bit. I'm going to say maybe some of the best nutrients because you can use all the antifungals in the world, but if you don't actually use binders to attach to the mycotoxins and pull those out, you won't get fully better. So using herbs like olive leaf is an amazing antifungal. I like to use stinging nettle. That's also very anti-inflammatory and helps stabilize the mast cells, which often overreact and produce histamine. So a lot of histamine issues are related to mold. Very much so. Yes. I love Paul D'Arco. Paul D'Arco bark is amazing. I love thyme. Uh, I love horsetail. Horsetail is great for uh, candida and Klebsiella. And so it's kind of an antimicrobial, some would argue antifungal as well. Uh, there's an herb called Tenospora cordifolia. We use that a lot for skin issues. That helps quite a bit. And then French tarragon, which is a leaf. That can be helpful too. So there are many, many others. Oregano you may hear about, garlic. There's tons of antifungals, but I just want to restate that you can do all the antifungals in the world, which is important if you're colonized for mold. So one thing, one important distinction to make when you're looking at someone, either testing or treating them is, are they colonized or are they just a mold reservoir? Meaning when we look at an organic acids test, Great Plains does a very good job at this. On page one of that test, I've looked at thousands of these, we'll look at specific markers for candida overgrowth, like arabinose, which is the gas that candida produces. But we'll also look at other markers like oxoglutaric acid or tartaric acid or uh, tricarbolic acid. And these are tied into fungal species, meaning if you look at a mycotoxin screen and you see that they have mold toxin and they don't have these organic acids growing, that tells you that the person was exposed to mold toxin. They're now a reservoir for it, but they're mm. not actively colonized. Mm. Now, when it gets really tricky and the people are often much sicker and it takes longer to get them better, if those people have elevated organic acids for these specific markers that I'm mentioning, it's going to be the tartaric acid, the oxoglutaric acid, the tricarbolic. If those are high on their test, what that means is they're colonized. That means that their immune system was weak enough, they got exposed to enough mold, or they were exposed to long enough of a mold exposure, that now they're colonized. So they're not just a mold reservoir, they're a mold factory. And that's no good because now, before you can even detox this person, 
you've got to try to stop the growth. You could take all the activated charcoal and clay and zeolite and silica and pectin and uh, did I say chlorella? I love chlorella already. Yes. Uh, so you can use these binders. Cholestyramine is a common prescription binder. You can take all that in the world, but if you don't get rid of the colonization, you're pretty much toast. So you really have to get that colonization addressed, and that's where the antifungals come in. So we've got diet covered to some degree. We know we've got to get rid of those moldy grains. We know about the essential oils for cleansing. What about air filtration? Yeah, great question. There's a lot of you know how it is. You've been in the game for a long time and marketing really kind of clouds people's decision-making in the health world. It's kind of sad. You know, people get big affiliate commissions and big checks and kickbacks, just like in the conventional medical world. It happens in the natural functional medicine world too, where people get big promotional checks and stuff to promote certain brands. And therefore people will recommend things that are subpar just because they get a bigger commission on it, which is sad. And, you know, I despise those people. And so that being said, I've had a lot of lucrative opportunities I've turned down or products that I've tested that I was not happy with and they were not up to par. And so I would deny sponsorships or cancel partnership deals or affiliate deals because it wasn't good enough for me and it wasn't good enough for my clients. And so that disclaimer being said, the Austin Air is what I sell the most of. The Austin Air, they're built like military grade. They feel like a tank. They're loaded, loaded with activated carbon and they can pull out VOCs, they can pull out mold spores. I've had so many chemically sensitive people that feel so good after we get one of those in their bedroom. They wake up feeling better. They're more refreshed. Their sleep is deeper. So if you're on a budget, you can't afford to put air purifiers in every house, you know, every part of your house, then at least get one in your bedroom, you know, for your children, put a small unit in their bedroom. They have one called a HealthMate Plus Junior. That's a small yes. unit that can go in bedrooms. Uh, I've got about five or six of them in my house and we run them on a low setting 24 seven. And I know a lot of the people out West this year were really affected with the wildfires. Luckily my clients that were ahead of the game and had purchased those air filters, we were able to really save people from getting really, really sick. I have some clients that react so bad to the wildfire smoke, but luckily they were able to just live in the bubble temporarily, keep the air purifiers on and they made it out okay. And I'm so glad that you love the Austin because my home is filled with Austin air purifiers and the health mates. And so when we have guests in the house, it's very difficult to get them to leave because they feel so, so purified here. Oh man. Yeah. Well that, so, so I think you're, I think you're doing great. The other funny thing is too, that especially in an environment like Kentucky, where in the summertime, the humidity could be 70, 80% outside. It's just brutal in the summer, 90 degrees with high humidity. You're just sweating your butt off. If you come into a house that has air purifiers plus dehumidifiers, and you've got the house at 40% humidity, you come in from the 70% to 40, you just feel so good. You feel so refreshed. So uh, it's two critical pieces of every home is humidity, adequate levels of humidity, not too much, not too little. And then, yeah, the air purifiers are a game changer. So as we come to the end of our delightful conversation, as it always is with you, Evan Brand, what's up next for Evan? Well, so something that just happened and is continuing to happen is I created a course because people keep begging me and I, I find myself on the, on, on a tightrope, like 
I love what I do, but I see the potential for me to burn myself out. And so I really look up to people like you who've been doing this for a while and you've, you've read so many books. I, and I just look up to you. And so I hope you know that first things, but, but I look up and I'm like, okay, how can I be sustainable? Because when I'm your age, I want to still be doing this and be helping people. So, so that's the tricky part that I'm navigating. Uh, and, and how old are you? I mean, how old are you? I'm 30. Isn't it such a bright young man? You're only 30, but your wisdom is like that of a 60 year old. Go ahead. Yeah, I appreciate it. And so the, the reality is I'm trying to find ways to work smarter and not harder. So, I mean, there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so many hours where I can dedicate myself to clients. There's only, you know, so many consult blocks per day per week. So I'm really trying to take everything we talked about and just put it into courses where people can just educate them themselves. Because this stuff's really not rocket science. Once you get your protocols dialed in, I'm not saying that you can use cookie cutter approaches and everybody's magically going to get better with the same protocol, because that's not true. But if you can look at the H. pylori, the parasites, the bacterial overgrowth, the candida, the humidity, the air purifiers, the water, the diet piece. I mean, if you get all these puzzle pieces dialed in, I'd say you can get 80% better without a practitioner holding your hand. Now, I still think there's a valid place for practitioners. It's incredibly important to be able to have that back and forth and to be able to tweak things. But Long story short, I'm trying to take everything I do clinically and build it out into courses. So I made one that I've got over 200 students in now. A lot of doctors are taking it, which is pretty funny because they feel inadequate based on, you know, uh, lack what of they nutrition education. Yeah, that's the big part of it. But, you know, they call, uh, like my grandmother calls, uh, you know, a little whippersnapper like me, a little young whippersnapper coming along <laughs> and talking about mold. And these guys don't have a clue and they feel pretty inadequate because they've been, you know, practicing physicians for 30, 40 years. They don't know the first thing about mold toxicity. So a lot of them are taking my course, which is really focused on the gut, but I hit on the mold piece because I know mold really causes a lot of gut issues. So so that course is called Better Belly Course. I, I periodically open it a few times out of the year, but you ask what's coming next for Evan. Mm -hmm. it's, it's more courses because I hate writing books. I've written three. I despise it. I think the, the, the most unhealthy thing you can do is to write a book about health. <laughs> That's probably true. So, so I can't do that anymore. I've written three and it just crashes me every time. And so I, I, I told myself I can't write any more books. I mean, if it's like a million dollar book deal or something, maybe that sounds pretty nice. You know, that'd be, that'd pay for a lot of grass fed steak, but otherwise I'm going to just create the courses because it's much more fun for me to show case studies. You know, I'm all about clinical, no fluff. A lot of times with books, like some of the book deals, you know, that I've had, they want you to create X amount of pages. And I'm like, look, this book doesn't need to be 200 pages. It really can be said in a hundred. Well, we want it to be 200 anyway. It's like, okay, so you're asking me to do a hundred pages of fluff. I don't want to do that, you know? And then, well, let's throw in some recipes and here's this 25 ingredient milkshake that nobody's ever going to make. It's like, I just, mm -hmm. I couldn't do that anymore. So with courses, you can pull up a you can pull something up and go, hey, look, here's this three-year-old with autism. Here's his massive level of mycotoxins. Here's his protocol. He's 75% better in a year. He's no longer considered autistic. And then here's the, here's the, the test results to prove it. To me, that is much more help, helpful than, than, than books. So, uh, so that's kind of my bias and where I'm headed. Excellent. And I just want to share with you that there's a company out of Kentucky that I'm speaking to, I think they're going to be a podcast sponsor very soon. 
and they have a product called Vitalica Plus. Are you familiar with them? I'm they not. Special, what is this? It's a sulforaphane. It's an activated sulforaphane, which is exceedingly detoxifying for fungus, for virus, and parasites. That's great. I've been using sulforaphane from Designs for Health. They've got one called Brocco Protect that I've been using for a long time. I've had great success with it. I'd like to compare it to what you're talking about and see what well, the these people are. have the patents from Johns Hopkins. They use the bro broccoli seed. So just, nice. just a little point of reference. Okay, so your, our time is up because you've been such a wonderful guest. And I want to thank you so much for being my guest on the First Lady of Nutrition podcast, Evan Brand. Where can people find you? Yes, ma'am. Thanks again. It was an honor. I always love chatting with you. My website is Evan Brand, E-V-A-N, last name Brand, like brand name, B-R-A-N-D, EvanBrand.com. And I've got over 350 podcasts and counting. So if you like today, there's much, much more that you can dive into. Every topic from chronic fatigue to mitochondrial issues to neurotransmitter issues to sleep, uh, joint pain, autoimmune issues. I mean, you name it. You name it. You cover the, you cover the gamut. Yes. And then some. So let me thank you once again. And I want to thank all my listeners for joining me yet once again for a, an episode of the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. I thank my sponsor, Unikey Health, for all their wonderful products at unikeyhealth.com. This is Anne Louise Gittleman wishing you a healthful, wonderful, and peaceful week. Shalom, shalom. <music>